the immense privilege of uh, speaking to you from Hebrews chapter 12. So if you're, um, if you're kind of new here, we're going through the book of Hebrews, and we're in chapter 12, and it's an enormous chapter, so we're, we're literally going to do two verses. Um, so that's good news, right? So it's not going to be like 16 hours. So we're in Hebrews 12, and w- what I want to do for us today, I want to talk to you about running your race. So that, that's what you need to remember throughout the message. That's what it's about. If you get lost, or if I get lost, it's about running your race. And in this passage, I want you to think about what God is teaching you about running your race. The race that God has put before you, your race, not mine, not the person next to you, your race. God has set a race before you. So know that. That's pretty much the teaching today. God has set a race before you. So there's urgency in this passage, and I, I want to do it justice by, by hammering that, that truth that you've got a race to run. And God talks about it just like that, like a, a race. And not even like a race. He says it is a race. So it's not even like a race. It's a race, and it's set before you. And we want to press that today. And we're also surrounded by brothers and sisters who have gone before us in this passage. So I want you to pay attention to the setup here, what God is, is putting uh, before us. And there's great power in this passage as well because we're told how to run the race. And that is by fixing our gaze upon Jesus. So this is intensely practical for today, tomorrow morning, the rest of the week, in business, in relationships, in finance, in, in riches and in poverty, in, in sickness and in health, in loads of friends and none whatsoever, you know the times I'm talking about, and when things are going great and you're loving it and when things go really sour and everyone's got stories, we're told, fix your gaze upon Jesus. You need to become a professor, a professional, an expert at putting Jesus to good use, the living Savior, and, and that's what we're going to press Today, So as we look at Jesus, our, our attention, and, and hopefully if I'm going to do this justice, is drawn to his person, to the face, the beauty of God as seen in the face of his son. So we're going deep. Thank you, Joe. He's always looking after me, Joe. Has it been 20 years? Is it, it's a little quiet. Thank you. Okay, I love you. I love you. I'm not an ounce embarrassed by it. Men need to kiss each other more often. Can we have, we're not going to do it right now, but practice that later on. There's, there was enough kissing going on a minute ago. So we're in this middle section here. Holy kiss, right? That's theology on fu- in full view. Two married dudes. Shall I change the message? No. Here, let's just pray. Let's pray. We're going to read the Bible. I haven't started the timer. It's okay. Let's pray. God, please help send your Holy Spirit, and and Holy Spirit, if you're here, Lord, if you'll teach us, uh, then we'll have your blessing, and I pray, Lord, pray, Lord, put your gentle hand on our lives, and I pray, Lord, we'll have your blessing today. Teach us, teach us your word, and especially, Lord, if you're going to talk in your word about running the race that is set before us, Lord, let us know it so clearly today. And help us as we fix our gaze on you, Jesus, and especially understanding how you endured the cross and you despised.
despised its shame. And it was all for the joy set before you. Lord, help us. Amen. Amen. So here's this passage, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. There's loads in this passage, so we're staying here. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse 2, looking to Jesus. Is it, is it zinging now? Is it a problem? Okay, verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So how are we going to do this today? Two halves. The first half is just going to be for a few minutes. In the first half, I want to just set the scene with that race that journey that is set before you, that marathon race. And, and then for most of our time, I want to do this, this part where we're looking to Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. And by the way, you're his joy. And I want you to see, and this is going to be the really important thing, because when you, when you have someone teaching you, it's just, it's just a human being teaching, but what needs to happen is a divine activity where God the Holy Spirit delivers what the Father wants to teach you right here in real time, right now. And that's where it gets critical. Because all of eternity is at stake. No hyperbole, no exaggeration. And for those who have ears, you know what I'm talking about. Have ears to hear, you know what I'm saying. The rest of eternity, which is a really long time, in, in indescribably long time, is at stake here. So we're going to look to Jesus, and we're going to go to the cross. We're going to speak of and, and mention what shame is. We're going to talk about what he suffered to put before you what God did for you and I in displaying his love, in showing you this is my sentiment, this is my emotion, my commitment to you. I'll send my son, and he'll endure that that Roman instrument of torture, and that's where we're going to go. So I'm not going to flatter you with funny stories. If I come up with one on the fly, I can't help myself, but I'm going to give you Bible, and that's what we're here for. So first part, set the scene, running the race. Second part, Jesus enduring the cross. It's going to get heavy, we hope. So running the race. So here it is. This is the scene of your life, and the Bible says, let us run. So there's this corporate activity. And the writer here has in his, her mind's eye, the Olympic Games. So you get the picture really well. And at the Olympic Games, there's all these tribes of Greece gathered together in this, this great big throng of people looking at marathon runners who are going to run their race. And that's where we are right now, right here. And they're displaying their, their strengths and their prowess for this race. And it's an illustration of the Christian life. This is what you and I need to see when we're wondering, what on earth is going on in my life? Anybody? It's a marathon race. No wonder it's hard. No wonder you have these times, great seasons of, oh dear God, I might tap out and pass out face down on the concrete. It's going to look bad. Help. That's normal. And you're in good company. Because you're surrounded by brothers and sisters that have gone before you. And so when the world wants to press in on you the ridiculous deception 
that you just kind of bought into this weird Christian story, you can just remember you're surrounded by thousands upon thousands upon thousands of brothers and sisters who have gone before you and endured this marathon race and run the race. You're not alone. And that's the scene we've got here. And it's a, it's a race worth running and in good company. And then we're told, first half still, set in the scene, lay aside the weight. So this points to the burdens and, and, and the things, the impediments that hinder us. So in a modern day scene, you, could, you picture somebody that is, is maybe running with some, some self-imposed weights around their ankles, right? To build endurance. Or if you're kind of more cardio, yoga, you know who you are. You've got some weights around your wrists. Or you just go playing, go to the gym and, and you're working out and you stack the weight on the bar and, it's, and it provides resistance. Well, showing up to your marathon race, you would not show up with the weights around your ankles. That would be ridiculous, you would not show up with, with a 25-kilogram thing strapped around your waist. For, for the, this, that, that's totally out of place. In fact, everyone would look at you, especially your mentors and your teachers. And they would probably say to you, have you lost your mind? This is your race. You're going to wear those weights around your ankles? And then you would co probably come to your senses and you'd rip them off quick. I mean, it would be stupid. You won't win the prize. And that's exactly the ridiculous scenario the author is putting before you. Throw off the weight. Why run with the weight? And we're supposed to feel, oh, obviously, wow. And not just the weight, the sin that entangles us. So it's just like heavy jab, jab, right hook. Everyone in the room should feel, man, yeah, the sin. And it should be complete freedom to say, wow, I need to not dabble with that sin because the grace of God is in the house. You know, God could have ground you into powder legally, judicially, with perfect righteousness and justice, but he doesn't. He, what grace? He's saying just, just like away with it. That's it. He doesn't say anymore. He doesn't say, just beat about yourself. Crawl on the ground to me and make yourself suffer so, so much, and then we'll all feel better about it. It's off with it. So that's the scene. Massive freedom and grace. But there is this big question, and I'm going to kind of try and shift us into the, into the second half here. There is this big question is, how can we run a marathon race? When there are things that entangle us and there are weights that, that kind of fall upon us. Like that's a, react, that's a real thing. And you and I should be at this point feeling, oh dear God, this is a little bit much. And if you're really awake, you're probably feeling, God, I feel helpless. And you're in good company once again. Because you're in the company of the church that God loves and gave himself for. The poor and the powerless and the helpless the vagabonds, that, that's you and me, the thief, the murderer, the liar, the one that cheats, moves boundary lines, does evil for others, also you and I, you're in good company. You should feel helpless because you're not left just there as though you have to rely on your own strength and your own smarts to run this race. And so there's this big question is, God, how am I going to do it? I don't want to retreat from this, this colossal, cosmic 
contest. I want my prize. I want pleasure unending in your presence. A crown. And if you get real Greek ancient Olympic games on it, they would, they would be given a wreath. It was like a crown of a, of a king or a queen. It was, you know, something put together with intricacy and beauty. And the idea is, Lord, I, I want that. How do I get that? I've got to be a winner in order to receive that. I've got to run this race with such tenacity, such, such endurance and patience, like such dedication in, in order to win the prize, like one, like, like, the, like I'm going to win. That's the only way I get to do this. How am I going to do it? Because I fall on my face all the time. And I find so many things to be just such an uphill battle. And this introduces us to the great secret of the Christian faith. So don't miss this piece, right? Verse 2. You look to Jesus. The end. The sum of the Christian life. Genesis 1 verse 1 to Revelation 22, 21. You look. This is the secret of your mums and dads in the faith, your brothers and sisters that have gone before you, and this is where we're going to go. It's perhaps the most important, most profound, and most eternally significant thing you can do is look into the eyes of Jesus. And I'll let you know that you're surrounded by tons of churchgoers in a million churches that show up and have never done that once. So don't just look to your peers on how it's done. You're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And you heard last week in Hebrews 11, they were sawn in two. Your mums and dads held these 66 books in their hands and clung to them at the cost of their life. It's not easy. It's not supposed to be easy. But this is the great exercise. You're going to look to Jesus. Eyes straight ahead. You're going to examine his perfections. You're going to examine the dedication Jesus has to his people. You're going to watch his manner. You're going to look at his ways. You're going to look at his sorrows. And you're going to look at his joys. The most sorrowful man that ever walked the planet that wept so, so hard. Was t we, we read he snorted like an animal at disgust when his friend Lazarus was in the grave. Not even just, just incensed by death and the grave. Disgusted. That his friend is in the grave, wrapped up in grave clothes where his friend doesn't belong. And he just shakes from his bowels, we read, the most sorrowful man on the planet. One who just can't even walk with friends at times because they won't understand. In Gethsemane says, wait over there, I've got to do something. And walks over and looks into the, the cup of all the poisons of our sins and the wrath of God and sweats his own blood out of his pores. It's big. Look at his sorrows and look at his joys. The most joyful man the planet ever had the privilege of having his sandals walk the earth, throwing his head back and laughing, rebuking the ridiculous and welcoming children into his presence and letting his brother, John, lead on his bosom the most manly activity at the dinner table that evening. Got you, Joe. And that's what you've got to do. And that's what you've you got to become accustomed to doing when I'm not yelling at you to do it and when no one else is in the room. You've got to look to Jesus. Look at his face, his beautiful, magnanimous, handsome, ruddy face that is yours to look at. And so in a race, you, you look straight forward. 
I'm trying to transition into the second part because we're, we're, we're going deep. We're going to look at the man on the tree enduring agony. Not outward only, inward. We'll get there. And, and you've got to keep your eyes straight ahead because we're in, in a race, that's the whole idea. If you kind of squint to the left for a moment. Anyone been for a jog and you kind of, the bunny running around catches your attention. Maybe you thought it was like a $20 bill. You know, whatever catches your attention. And you, you kind of like look to the left, like you're, you're hitting the curb quick, things are going bad, you disappear into a tree. That's a story for another time, but it's hard, and you've got to keep your eyes straight ahead of you. And I've got this profound Greek vocabulary lesson for you. And here, you ready? Here it is. It's a Bible study, remember. The word for look unto Jesus is ice, kind of phonetic, E-I-S, ice. And it doesn't just mean look. It means look. End of profound Greek lesson. Because the English just isn't good enough. A thousand times ten thousand when you're looking at, at God's word. It means longingly, intently look and behold and look into. And that English is just inadequate. So I'm going to have to trust the Holy Spirit to teach you. When you're looking at Jesus... It's like, you know a book that sits on your nightstand, and occasionally you kind of glance at it and you think, it would probably be great to read that. So many friends have recommended it, but it just doesn't do anything else other than stay and collect dust. It's a bit like that. And then finally, you look into the matter, and you just kind of get the dust off. Maybe, you, maybe it's a fancy one, kind of leather bound, you know, you unclasp it, and you delve in, and you look into the matter. And then you realize, wow, I'm like five years behind my friends telling me I really should have read this and it's changing my life on the spot. It's kind of that sort of a thing, looking into Jesus. And that's what I want you to do at this very moment, not just tomorrow. I want you to look straight ahead at Jesus. I want you to throw off the weight. You know what he's teaching you right now. You know how capable he is to show you. And don't say he's not showing you stuff. He's the Lord of the heavens and the earth who gave you enough breath and enough times to blink your eyelids over the last 15 minutes. He can show you what he needs to show you. Throw it off and get running because today's the day you run. Looking straight ahead. So a little story. There is three guys plowing a field for a prize. Whoever had the straightest plowing technique. And most of them made really crooked work of it. And the judge went to one man and he said, wait, where were your eyes and, uh, while you were plowing? So I kept my eyes on the plow handles. And he said, yeah, he, he, you went this way and that way and the, the furrow was all crooked. And he asked the second plowman, he said, where did you look? And he said, well, I looked right in front of me, just right there at the furrow. And he said, okay, yeah, I mean... You went this way and that way, and you took forever. And you didn't even get to the end. But the third guy, he said, where did you look? And he said, I didn't look at anything about my own self and person. I looked straight between the horses. I looked all the way to the end of the field, and I saw a tree, and I fixed my eyes on that living tree. And the judge said, I've never seen so straight a plow. Three normal, regular guys. It's just one new what was to be done, kept his gaze straight ahead. And that's the thing, it's such a struggle if you and I will just keep our gaze on our own emotions because they are a, a, just a really frail compass for life or your own performance or the performance of other people. 
or your own righteousness, and you'll just get into a fog. But there is power looking at Jesus. There is power gazing upon the perfections, the beauty of the Lord. There's a lot of clever Christian teachings that try and get way beyond the cross and give you all kinds of fancy information. And I just want you to just throw that stuff in the trash can where it belongs and go straight to the cross of Jesus Christ. His death, His burial, and His resurrection is everything for you. Everything. Okay, let's go to that horrid cross. I need you to come with me. Are you coming? So verse 2 is looking to Jesus. And you've got to mark these words. Who for the joy set before Him endured the cross despising It's shame. This is where we go deep. The sufferings of Jesus. And the thing is, what I'm going to say over my next few collection of words is really just barely a drop in a bucket. Because who can speak of the agony Jesus suffered on the cross and do it justice? I mean, how do you ever fully comprehend And explain the love of the Lord. Everyone in the room is barely beginning. And you know what? For all of eternity, the children of God, we will spend our days working and visiting each other's houses and whatever else happens. But you will look upon His face, the infinite God, and continue to learn more and more, moment by moment, about the Lord. And so I want you to do this daily. I want you to turn that phone off and just pause the, the, the show in, in your queue on Netflix more frequently. Dare I say that to this generation? And I want you to just forsake all other passions and all other loves and make it your chief exercise to go and look at the Lord and look at the love of the Lord and just gaze upon His beauty and look at how just fantastic he is. And I mean it because it'll change you from the inside out. And it's the one thing I have in my life. Because I, I, I want you to just have a kind of a, a level view of who I am. Because I, I've had successes and Chris always just bigs me up. And, and, and I'll take it. That's fine. You know, it's, but it, I've just had failures in my life and successes and and planted churches, and, and at, the, at the same time, while planting churches, had days where I struggled to string together a sentence of words, and just wouldn't want to show my face to anybody, my wife, my children, or in public. Days when I had the courage of ten men, and I'm I'm on form. I mean, those were those were the good ones, and I've got some cool stories about that too, because you know this cool stuff happened in my life. And then also days. Well, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what my life was about, what my vocation was, what I'm supposed to do, where I'm supposed to go, what on earth I'm going to tell my wife and kids because I feel like I've lost it. But there's one thing I know and I've made it my business to study and that is the faithful love of Jesus for me in my life. And I've become a practitioner at gazing at the love of the Lord. And that's why I'm pretty dangerous most of the time. Because I might not know what to do, but my Savior does. He gave me my wife and my kids the privilege of proclaiming the Word of God. 
And I'm excited about him. And I, and I want you to look at that tree and watch the texture and the beauty and the tragedy of the cross as Jesus is there. Let's go. The highest of heavens. Because you've got to go to the heights before you go to the depths. The magnanimity, the beauty. I'm going to run out of words. I don't even know why I'm even using words. I'll give you two or three. But the beauty of the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, never spiritually born, always existing through all of eternity in this perfect holiness, purity, in inapproachable light, in this relationship with His beloved Father, in intense delight and ecstasy, in the love and fellowship of the Holy Spirit, never needing you or I or anything or anybody for one second. And from that place, just the indescribable wisdom is going on. And somewhere in conversations, too beautiful to even try and, and just kind of convey and communicate, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who never have a new thought because they're infinite in their, in their wisdom, D decide. I can't even use the word decide. I mean, it's just they're too beautiful in their co comprehension and wisdom. But if they did decide, they decided we're going to make the cosmos and hang planets in spaces without strings holding them. And, and if, if an angel even had the audacity, and he probably didn't, I, I, nobody knows, but if an angel said, how are you going to hang the... Angels probably didn't exist at the moment, so whatever, it doesn't even work, does it? But if one did at the moment and had the audacity to ask Father, Son, Holy Spirit, how are you going to hang the earth? Because, you know, it's heavy. Uh, the answer would be, I'll hold it with my own hand. I'll just tell it to hang in space with my own wisdom. And then what else will you do? I'll just create a near infinite number of stars, just... Just because I want people to know my majesty. And that's why Paul writes in Romans chapter 1 that his infinite wisdom and his invisible attributes would be clearly seen through what has been made so that men are without excuse. And God decides, yeah, I'm just going to show off, you know, angels and constellations and planets. And in this place of incredible beauty and perfection, if the Father and the Son had a conversation, they would probably say something like this Our people will let us down sorely, like the back hand across our face but far worse to, the in, to an infinite degree. They will not be an obedient people. They'll be a frail and a difficult and a treacherous people. And if the Father and the Son talked about it in this way, they would say, well, somebody has to take their place because sin demands a payment. And if that conversation happened, the Son might say, without hesitation, instantly, Father, I'll go. I'll become a man so that no one will ever be able to say we did not perfectly sympathize and experience every single frailty of the entire human race through all of history and into all of the future. And Father, I'll stand in their place as their scapegoat. And you can let fall upon me all of the just and righteous penalty of every single one of their transgressions and all of your, to use biblical language, arrows dipped in the poison of their own sin, you can let fall upon my own head. Did God cry? Did he shake? Nobody knows. Ask him when you see him. I don't know. But infinite perfection steps down out of heaven 
Philippians chapter 2, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself and became your servant. And that's what's happening on the cross. This stooping down. And so God becomes a man, and it happens in a shed among animals and animal dung. And he's born to a virgin out of wedlock who is the talk of the town while people say the teenage girl is pregnant. And God comes to earth. And he's on his way to your house to make his home in your heart. And you'll never be able to question his commitment. And he's on his way. And he lives his life. And and he goes to, to the cross to suffer the shame of that cross. And shame is a horrible thing. People, people in history prefer death over shame. But on that tree, there is shame that just falls down upon the beautiful, infinite Son of God. And he becomes sin. And he does so in our place. And there's, there's, there's a shame of kings. But then, the, then there's Jesus in whose face the nobility and beauty of the Godhead itself is. And he is despised and spit upon and mocked. And I want you to come with me right here to the foot of the tree, right here to the foot of the cross. I don't want you to shy away. And if you throw up, you're probably doing just fine. And if you cry and shake, or if you're in disgust and throw something, you're doing well, because I want you at the foot of the tree. And Jesus is totally stripped of his majesty and his beauty, his clothing, everything, in every possible respect. In ways that you and I kind of protect ourselves, and we, and we even protect ourselves, allow ourselves to be calloused, the Son of God completely disrobes himself, never once allowing his heart to become calloused of the way he feels for you, longs for you. And he's disrobed in that place. And Jesus, and he becomes just completely just ill-equipped of anything he had previously, stripping himself. And he, he says, doesn't he, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to even lay his head. His strong, passionate heart fixed on your well-being. And then his, his actual body stripped of all clothing. And I know you've seen the paintings and, and I know you've looked through the art books and the, the, you know, the ceilings they paint and they kind of put a sheet around him. And it's, it's nonsense. He's stripped twice, naked, public humiliation. Not just a man, completely a man, but fully God in full view of everyone. He's charged as being a traitor. God charged as being a traitor. They mock his divinity. They mocked his divine person. He's hanging on the tree. And they said to him, if you're the son of God, come down from the cross and we'll believe on you. And they challenged his divinity. And at any moment, having the complete ability to snuff them into powder, he decides not to. He continues to endure. Why would he do it? Can you think, like, just of that for a moment, creation, challenging, almighty God's divinity? And they mocked his offices, prophet, priest, and king. They mocked his prayers. And he cries out in his final cry, shuddering in that bodily torment, cries out his final phrase, 
the most just startling death shriek that has ever been heard in heaven and hell. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, and screams uh, with a scream that splits rocks open in the surrounding countryside. Oh my God, God, why have you forsaken me? The shock to the system as the father with whom he's been in fellowship for eternity turns his face away, who can no longer look upon sin, completely disconnects from the son and feels utter isolation and infinite loneliness at that place. And they even mock that, thinking he's calling for Elias. See if Elias will come take him down. And they mocked even his prayer, even his divinity. So the display of his endurance here is just, it's just too much. I mean, who does that when he doesn't have to? Who would do that for you? Because I probably won't. Like I'll hurt my foot and maybe persevere. On a good day, if I'm well fed, and then I might not, like, be honest. Who in their right mind endures? Who could do that? Who on earth? His own creation mocking him. His own people. And even the, the paintings you've seen that kind of wrap a sheet around him. Don't sh you know the kind of you know the paintings I'm talking about you know you know what I mean it's like and thanks for the painting it maybe helps but you know it's like a slightly sad face kind of it's just it's not it you know sorry to burst your bubble it's not it to face his own creation pulled his beard from his face you ever had a friend do that I mean maybe you have it and it would be terrible like his people like people pulled his flesh off his body. Isaiah says he's not looking like a man at this point. On the big instruments of torture through the, the most tender parts of his body where there's the most nerves in your whole body, in your feet. He carried that cross. And they drive those nails through his hands and his feet. And this is where the writer of Hebrews is telling you, you are going to spend a lot of your time because if you think anything else is like if you like a nutri bar, like a health drink, is not going to be enough for this race. You need full-on gospel, the commitment of God's Son, and the joy set before Him to endure this. And in Jerusalem, to give you context, full of people, this common place where commoners were executed, thieves, murderers executed, there at Calvary, the place of the skull. And he's put to death, and there's people are all over. It's during the Passover. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, dwellers in Mesopotamia, in Greece, people from far off Tarshish, the islands of the sea, all of there. So the setup is ridiculous, all scoffing. God's beautiful man. And just there, increasing the shame. And he's crucified between two thieves, as though he belongs among those vagabonds. And that just, oh. so he hangs there naked to his shame and he's gazed upon by people, bystanders, sun shining, hot on his fever, burning him, 
Bible says his tongue is dried up like a potsherd. It cleaves to the root of his mouth. Has anyone in the room ever been that thirsty? I've heard stories and they're bad. When you've been without water for days, you're like a feverish animal just trying to get a drop in you and your tongue starts to stick to the roof of your mouth. And there he hangs and they're mocking him. And he didn't destroy them. And he didn't stop. And he didn't call upon like 500 million angels be like, that's it, that's enough. I've had enough. Roll in the horses and chariots of fire. That, he doesn't. He endures it. And his soul is dying. His soul is dying. You've only seen like this, this outward, but there's this inward that's hard to see. And if you could, if you could see for a moment of the agony of Jesus' soul, you'd probably go blind eternally and lose your mind. But his soul is dying in agony. And I don't know how to talk about that. But I mean, there's no, I don't know if there's ever been a soul who died on earth, a soul. Hell is the place of dying souls. And he's struggling because it's not just an outward struggle from people. God pours out his wrath on his own son. And the Bible teaches it pleased the Lord to crush him. And there's only one other place I know how to take those verses and understand it pleased the Lord. There's only, it, it's, it's, I'm struggling with those verses. I mean, you should struggle with the Bible. It's, it's deep. You should struggle well with the cross. A death. An instrument of torture. But there's only one place I know to, and understand how, how to begin to comprehend that God the Father was pleased to crush him and bruise him. And we find it in this verse. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. Because it was for the joy set before him. That he said, because the Father and the Son and the Spirit had your eternal well-being in mind. And so Jesus considers the cross light activity. I mean, I don't know how you dare to say that, but counts that as doable because there's something greater in mind. And it's the love of the Lord for his people. I love you eternally. Do you see it in the gospel? I will find you. I will pursue you. I will do anything, whatever it takes. Because of the joy set before me. And I will feed you for all of eternity on that joy. Can you ever, ever question the love of God as seen in the person and the work of Jesus Christ? Because if you did, just look at Calvary. Just look at that tree and you'll remember I have never had anybody serve me quite like that. If you had anyone like wash your feet, it's like embarrassing, you know. It's like make you a meal. It's like, you know, you feel indebted. You're kind of like, yeah, you got to have them back over for dinner. It's just kind of that thing going on. You'd, but the beautiful Son of God comes and becomes your servant and my servant. And he says, that's how you're going to run your race. You're going to remember what I did for you and my passion for you. I'll never end. I'll never stop. My character changes not. I'll never cease loving you. 
with a passion and a dedication and an intensity and a jealousy like so thoroughly furnished. It's endless. And that is so how high is the love of the Lord. That's, why, that's how Paul prays for the church in Ephesus. He says that you may comprehend the, how high the love of the Lord is, how deep the love of the Lord is, how wide the love of the Lord is, and be strengthened in your inner man. And there is the secret of the Christian life. You will not count how many times you went to church. If you start to bring it up to the Lord, He'll say, I don't know what you're talking about. If you start to talk about how many little old ladies you helped across the road, the Lord will say, it's kind of like filthy rags. Uh, great, like carry on. They probably need help. But when you throw yourself on His righteousness and His strength and His might, your feet will start running once again. So go run, child of God. Run. Nobody in the room should care. Are you teacher? Are you preacher? Are you plumber? Are you baker? But have you looked longingly in the eyes of Jesus, so much so that you've seen those eyes that burn with 10,000 sunshines, that joy that is for you, the love of God for you. So just wait for a moment. I'm finishing. Let it be weighty right now. Let it rest on you for a moment. Allow your heart to consider that this is how God displays His love for you. When Paul writes to the church in Rome, he said, God placarded Jesus. He put Him up like a, a sign, a placard for you. This is what happens. Your generation has been fed with so many messages of, of, of just like positive thinking. I actually like a few of them because it you know, might help a little bit. But there is nothing like the love of God in the face of Jesus. Nothing. If you look, you will love your friends with the love of the Lord. You will love your spouse with the love of the Lord. Not on the basis of what your spouse deserves. That's how marriages fall apart. You will love your friends not on the basis of how deserving they are. You think they're amazingly perfect. You have not been friends with them long enough. You will need this equipment in your life. Lord, I, I pray for us. Help us to look at your face longingly and lovingly. Lord, I know in, in my life, I, I have nothing fancy Nothing great to bring compared with the love of my Savior. Lord, by your Spirit, would you please fill every person, every child of God in this room. Lord, that we would know the delight, the treasure of seeing your work upon Calvary. And knowing, Lord, that you rose again. Lord, that you rose up from the grave and you're seated at the right hand of the throne of God. God, I pray right now the good of the gospel will make things change in our lives. Lord, I pray when there are the business problems in, in the room, Lord, that your children will look to the hills from where their help comes from. They'll look to you when there's money trouble. 
Lord, when there's health troubles, Lord, that you would teach us, your children, to look to you and know that your love is sufficient. Your wisdom is exquisite. Your nearness, your intimacy is everything we need for every challenge, for every child. And I pray the legs in this room will start to run like never before. I pray, God, churches will be planted. Families will be started in righteousness with the gospel foundation. I pray that those of us, and we all agonize with sin, those of us with weights, the way we just think, I just, there's no way I can get free. I pray they fall off now in the name of Jesus. I pray that the delicious flavor of forgiveness fills our hearts right now in the name of Jesus. And I pray finally, as we come to this table, Lord, that we will fill the mouth with bread because your goodness is full on. It's outrageous. It's scandalous that vagabonds like us would just be drenched in your love, oh Lord. Oh, your love, oh Jesus. So Lord, whatever needs to happen, I pray you help us, you fill us. Pray, Lord, oh God. Just, I, I just want to ask you, be a good, spiritually minded child of God and look to the Lord and talk to Him just, just for a moment. I know you can talk to Him later but, or tomorrow, but just talk to the Lord just for a moment. Hear what He'll show you. Understand what He'll explain to you. This is your secret. Especially any weight or sin that entangles, you have the right man on your side. He's not leaving you. He's not surprised. He's never going to click his tongue. You will never experience the wrath and the anger of God. It was put on his own son. You will only have goodness and mercy and kindness and passion and jealousy. And even his discipline is the loving, gracious hand of a God jealous for your prize. So get serious about your race. I preached long enough. I just want to invite you to the, the Lord's Supper. Keep talking to the Lord. Pray for one another. Do dealings with God. There's no religious practice here. Uh, this is grape juice. This is wine. So pick whichever one you want. Share this bread with one another. Thank God for one another. And a great way to pray today is, Lord, I am fixing my eyes on you. I am running. Just finally see, just see how the Lord will prove blessing and goodness in your life. Just see how he makes your feet run. This is no joke. Just see new courage come. Start that business. Lay down that weight. Meet with the Lord in the morning. Serve your community. 
doesn't do it for the King of Kings. I don't know how long you've got. You might have hours left of your race. Maybe decades. Fix your eyes on the end. Okay. Come on forward and let's enjoy this field together. Thanks for listening.